Welcome to the recitation. And this is a particularly exciting one. I even go so far as to say this is the most important one. Uh, this is about Fab Labs making Fab Labs, which from the very beginning was um, the one of the core technical goals. And this is also a particularly important recitation because uh, all of you are going to get to do this. Uh, in a few weeks, each lab is going to design and build a machine. And so this is uh, to give you a taste of what's going to happen in those weeks and beyond. So there's a great distributed global gloop, gloop, <laughs> that's a good word, gloop, great distributed global group working on machine building that's sort of been collaborating and passing designs around. And so we're going to go in historical order. Uh, and we'll start with uh, Jonathan Ward, um, who's with Blair in Detroit, and a number of years ago was uh, one of my students at MIT, and with Nadia Peak, who it may be too early for her in Seattle, um, helped start off this whole direction. I'm here. Can you not see me? Oh, not hear you. Hi. Um, oh, I, I hear and see you. Oh, good goodness, it's 6 a.m. Okay, great. I wasn't sure if you were joining. So uh, your audio level is a little low, um, but um, audio and video are fine. Um, and so Jonathan and Nadia, can you, let's see, do you want to tag team together or go in series? Uh, either way is fine. Nadia? I tell, sorry, let me suggest just for time management, Jonathan, why don't you explain the machines you made and then Nadia pick up from there with what you did in your thesis and then we'll go into Jens, how about? Okay. So Jonathan, take over the screen. Okay. Okay. Yep, it's good. Oops. There we go. Yep. Everyone can see that? Yep, it's good, Jonathan. Okay. So hi, my name is Jonathan Ward. I'm here in Detroit at Insight Focus. Um, so I'm just gonna talk about a couple of the projects that I worked on several years ago with uh, Nadia and others at MIT and the machines that make project. Um, we started building, we started using FabLab tools to build uh, CNC machines, uh, so the machines could be built locally, uh, parts and materials could be sourced locally. And so this was one of the first projects that I worked on um, in the class, uh, how to make something that makes almost anything. So this was a small wooden CNC machine uh, for milling circuit boards that was, mill all the, all the parts for the frame were machined on the shop bot. Um, so here are all the parts. There's a assembly drawing I was working on, um, and then there's the Hello World circuit board we made. Um, so Nadia and I were working on a lot of these projects together. That project was really difficult to assemble and get it working correctly. Um, it, it was really hard to get the parts to fit together precisely and square and really difficult to assemble uh, in a repeatable way. So we started a, a, a separate design where the frame was built of HDPE and it was a snap together assembly um, with flexures to help align the rails. Um, and this was the project that Nadia and I worked on. We built several of these and taught workshops on how to put these together. And it was still a, a really difficult machine to assemble. There were a lot of details. Your shop bot had to be set up just right, square, and um, all, the, all, the, all the parts had to be uh, machined with the right feed rates and the correct depths. And there were still a lot of problems with this design. Um, so the idea here was to build up these open source machines that people could also modify. So um, Nadia started working on some other projects that were a little bit easier to assemble um, and developed into several other projects. Um, Nadia, do you want to share some links of your uh, of your projects? Yeah, sure. Um, 
I made like some, I, I collected, a, I made a collection of pictures to share with you guys. So I'll share my screen too, if you stop sharing your screen. Okay. Okay, cool. Hold on a second. That's good. So uh, after working a bunch with Jonathan and failing to get, ooh, autoplay, exciting, and failing to get a, uh, and failing to get people to really prototype with machines, it was more like they went through this long slog where they learned a lot about machining and um, it was all valuable. But at the end of the day, they weren't really making machines that were helping um, helping themselves make things that they're interested in. Um, and so I was thinking about the prototyping um, timeline. You know, if you play music, you immediately hear what you're playing. Um, whereas if you write software, you can immediately test things really quickly. And as you go um, more and more into hardware, like first by writing firmware, where you have to flash something separately, you have to cross compile, or if you're designing hardware, where you have to make circuit boards, and then you have to make the circuit board, and then you flash the firmware and you make sure it works. And then getting to electromechanical, you get these larger and larger feedback loops um, where success gets further and further away. And the ways that you fail can happen early on and can be a very frustrating experience. And so these machines uh, that we worked on early, this was a machine I built with Alain Moyer, who is also sort of an or original machines that make crew person, or the SnapBots that I worked on with Jonathan, you know, a lot of these were machines that just took days and days to make. Um, and so we were with James Coleman, who's now at Zaner, uh, we started exploring like, what is the way in which you can make a reconfigurable machine or a machine that you can uh, uh, snap together uh, physically, like how many degrees of freedom do you need in the machine? What's the end effector that you want to attach to machine? And how can you rapidly prototype these machines for rapid prototyping? So here's like a, um, four separate stages that together made up a hot wire cutter. So you can cut shapes out of styrofoam that are controlled on both sides. Um, and one of the things that was really uh, uh, beneficial to be able to make um, these reconfigurable machines was also to be able to make reconfigurable control systems. And so using a lot of the networking um, inspiration from uh, how to make almost anything, uh, Alan and I spent a lot of time working on how to make extensible control systems so that you could rapidly prototype the control system and the mechanical part so that the electromechanical was really tightly coupled together. Um, and so I guess when I, uh, my, my thesis in the Center for Bits and Atoms had to do with how do you use, how can you make machines that make quickly? Um, and I introduced this concept of object-oriented hardware. Um, borrowing from the, the metaphor of object-oriented software and bringing it back into the physical realm for rapid prototyping and reusability um, in mechanical systems for automation workflows. Uh, and then together with James, we really tried to reduce that to practice as quickly as possible. You know, James and I really wanted people to be able to make the entire machine for machine building week in less than an afternoon so that after they made the first instantiation of the machine, they would be able to refine um, the operations that the machine was doing rather than spending, you know, first six hours machining HDBE and then configuring their machine to work with G-code. And often the machine had um, some issues which made it difficult to work with G-code. So we wanted to get rid of all of that kind of labor and replace it with this improvisation and rapid prototyping cycle of machine building. Um, and there are, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of cool videos of other Fab Academy students making those cardboard machines that um, I'm sure you guys will see in Neil's lecture. But for, the, uh, uh, for where my research is going now, James and I taught another workshop where we're making, we're using these machines to make things. And actually there's a lot of other tacit knowledge that goes into manufacturing. It's not just the configuring of the machine and the production of parts, but then afterwards, how do you know where the parts go in the building um, or in whatever it is that you're constructing? So say you, you use these machines to make all of these individually cut squares that are all slightly different. How do you make sure that those squares all fit together? What is the way, what are ways in which you can script part tracking, um, and especially when you're dealing with really large scale, uh, especially when you're dealing with really large scale projects, you can be dealing with a really complex network of people. You know, 
when you do things in Fab Academy, it's like you making things for yourself. But I'm also interested in how that scales. You know, how do you scale from being a maker who makes one thing of something? And then if you're going to do an installation and you have to make a thousand parts, or then if you're going to make a really complex installation and you're going to do 10,000 parts, or if you were going to make a whole building and you have hundreds of thousands of parts, how do you coordinate all of the people that are involved in that manufacturing process? Um, and so we've been running these workshops where uh, people use the cardboard machine kit. We have a rotary stage now, which I can show you if I go get it. Uh, we, using the cardboard uh, machine parts to quickly prototype um, machines that can build things. So in this case, this build, these machines were configured to map out the geometry of individual triangles um, so that they could assemble the triangles together really quickly and do a site-specific installation. This is at Autodesk. Um, and so the, uh, the, the benefit there is that in, this was a, uh, this was like a three part, six hour workshop. So 18 hours in total, where you go from no design and no site to a site specific installation, um, kind of figuring out what all of those, what all of those kind of squeezing points are with working with large groups of people. Um, and that's kind of what I'm interested in now. How do you prototype workflows quickly, not only the machine part, but also the logistics and organizational parts that allow you to make really complex systems. I'll stop sharing my screen now. Great. And so then from there, um, Jonathan, pick up to the present. Okay. Uh, let's see. Share screen. Good. Okay. Um, so I, I worked on several different projects over the years. Um, I worked at other lab in San Francisco for a while. And one of the projects, this project basically uh, became a prototype for the other mill, which was started there. Um, and as we worked on a cardboard cutter, a cutting machine called the other cutter as well. Um, and I worked on several other machines there. Um, now I'm working on building some tools here at Insight Focus that can be used to help uh, teach machine building and teach Fab Academy. So I've been work. I, I, I also work for um, Shopbot Tools, um, developing web apps for uh, CNC tools. So um, yeah, a lot of stuff. But um, I, I guess I will. Uh, I'll show just a simple. Uh, app I've, I've been working on to help design circuit boards. Um, so this is a web app that allows you to just point and click and design a circuit board in a browser and generate a tool path for um, any of the tools in the lab. Uh, this is a, 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 a stepper shield that I recently worked on um, for a machine I'm developing here. Um, I have two versions of this. One uses the the rivet, the copper rivets in the inventory, but this is just a breakout board for a, a stepper driver. But um, the milling app just runs in a browser, so there's no install or anything. You just um, can go to this link. Um, and I added some projects from Fab Academy here that you can select. So there's the Fab ISP. Um, and that generates a 1 32nd of an inch tool pass. That clears all of them. Um, that generates a 1 64th of an inch tool pass. Or if you would need a 1 100th of an inch tool pass. Um, and then I have all of these machines built in. So you can select origin offset. And all the speeds and feeds are built in. So you can design shields using an Arduino template or just a blank circuit board. and um, use the arrow keys to just change the size and um, you know, select select parts here. Um, I'm having a hard time seeing the this browser. Um, but uh, anyway, so yeah, you can add small pads there. 
Um, like that, traces, big trace. Um, so this is generating the toolpath as I work. So you can see when your tool is going to get between parts and when it is not going to get between parts. Um, so it makes it fairly easy to design uh, boards. Um, so I'm also working on a, a small machine similar to a HandyBot. I just started this. This will be my machine building project this semester. Um, this is a little XY flexural stage that was laser cut in the lab using Gin's uh, rack and pinion gear design. Um, so it's a really simple, lightweight machine that is easy to assemble. Um, and I'm currently testing this. So this is the stepper shield you see here. So the whole machine weighs two or three pounds. Um, very low maintenance. There aren't bearings to get contaminated and um, don't have to deal with the same alignment issues that you have to design, worry about for um, typical um, bearing, uh, uh, plane bearing uh, slides and things like that. So this is a, just a prototype I'm experimenting with. And um, we're also building some tools to help with um, implement FabLab 2.0. So these are all tools that you can build in the lab. Um, one of the things we do is, uh, oops, I think this is actually broken in Chrome. I'll have to, um, let, me, let, me, let me open Firefox and come back to that. Um, it's uh, really difficult to keep uh, web apps working. Uh, well, I'll come back to that link later. Um, so yeah, those are the projects I'm currently working on here. And um, if uh, someone else wants to take it from here, or have, okay. if anyone has any questions. Well, we'll come back to questions. Um, so I'll, if you start. I'll bring up the uh, Firefox with the, uh, oh, here, here we go. I think I have it working now. Uh, it should be working. We, we there, there, here we go. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, This is just a little slow on this computer. Um, so here, Jonathan, do you use time well? So it's a table design app? Yeah. Um, here we go. So this runs in a browser as well. There's no install. Um, we use it, when we set up labs all over the country, we use this app to design some presets that we have here. Um, for different sizes, but you can also just specify your own height um, and width. So if people want to change the design later, the app is available. Um, build more interesting tables or um, things that work better for their lab. Um, okay. So that generates the that generates a, a, a 2D DXF that you can use in the ShopBot. Um, so I'll stop screen sharing now. Okay, that's great. And so in this evolution, um, Jonathan and Nadia made lovely machines. I thought anybody could make their own fab lab. And the experience was anybody could make it if you were Jonathan or Nadia, but it was very hard to reproduce. Um, Nadia made modular axes where lots of people made machines quickly, but the modular axes couldn't quite make themselves. Um, and then the next step in this evolution was Jens appeared. So Jens, take over. Hello. So uh, I run a fab lab here in Oslo called Fellesverkstede. And uh, we also have an R&D department that we're setting up. So we're independent fab lab, but we're creating an R&D department 
in this fab lab, which I find quite exciting. And, uh, and uh, from 2011 to 2013, I did a fab lab world tour as my own sort of research project and ended up uh, falling in love with fab labs because I visited them all over the world and I realized I got to start on in my own town. So right now my design studio is sleeping and I'm working full time with the, with the, with the lab, but also doing R&D. But since our lab is closed at the moment, because we're moving from a temporary location to a permanent one, uh, I'm sitting in our hackerspace uh, where we drown that hackerspace by closing down because demand surged at the hackerspace when our lab closed. So we made a, a milling machine with our system in our lab to help meet demand in our local hackerspace. So I'm going to run the demo of that machine later too. Uh, let me see if I can share my screen. All right, so are you guys seeing my, uh, my, our GitHub page? Yep, screen share is good. So here's the name of our locally named Fab Lab, Felleswerkstede. And if you go to the Fabricatable Machines project, this is where we work in the open and publish all the research on, on machines you can make yourself. So little, the thought is a little bit similar to human readable text that you have not for non-lawyers. We want to have human fabricatable machines. And, and I, the front page, they read me, it reads a little bit like a blog. So if we browse down all the way down to the bottom, it's, you can see it's uh, timeline wise. This is the very first axis that I made together with a friend in January, 2015. And the goal then is to, okay, how can we go to the next step in DIY machine making by all, creating also the linear drive system ourselves? You know, instead of buying guide rails and a drive system like belt or rack, or lead screw, how can we fabricate that ourselves? And, with, and the whole point here is not then to bake, make the best possible drive system, but a good enough one that you can easily make yourself and make it fast. Because if it takes a really long time to make a machine, then even if you're pro, you're not gonna do it very often, right? So it's friendly to amateurs if it's easy and fast, and it's actually relevant for business and pros as well, if, you, if it's fast to make. So if we browse up a little bit, you can see Things got excited when we started making parametric axes, and uh, I'm going to get back to the rack and pinion uh, geometry a little later. And then we made a, a laser cutter, which was great fun. So it was just a simple diode laser cutter with our system. So after sort of patiently making only linear actuators, we started combining them after about one and a half years into machines. And in Fab uh, 12, we ran a demo uh, of, uh, of the machine making system. And also uh, a friend of mine's working on the laser cut laser cutter, uh, where you laser cut also the axis. And we're working on machine recycling, no material recycling and stuff that, that we want to automate too, but not going to talk about that now. And uh, we made a pen plotter as a trophy for Oslo Innovation Award, Award, which was great fun. So this is the crown prince and princess of Norway pressing a button to start a drawing machine. The trophy was a drawing machine and the drawing machine would draw the trophy for the winner. And then we had to make one for ourselves as well. So, so we made another one, which we put a spindle on that you can see barely here. And this was pretty exciting because this is the same uh, ISP almost as, as Jonathan demoed. But here you can, we used a large shopot to mill our own fabricate uh, drive system that was able to position the tool at precise enough with good margin to make this ISP, which was very exciting. So but the challenge, of course, is then to make the large machines very fast to fabricate and be that precise. But actually, this was a very nice milestone because this is good enough for PCB fabrication in Fab Labs, right? So, and then if you go a little further up, we have this, we call it a chamfer rail. I think you're gonna maybe rename it to a fabricatable axis, but this is the actual axis then that you can make yourself. So if you go in, then you see there's more readme on how to make it. There's a nice little uh, looping GIF uh, that a friend made, Jakob, uh, who, uh, which shows you know, how the little pinion is rolling to drive the, the thing forward. And uh, so it's all quite well documented with step-by-step, -step, you know, how to fabricate bill of materials, feeds and speeds for aluminum, all these things. And a really good thing, what's cool is we started, we started finding out that we could buy the same thickness of MDF and aluminum, eight millimeter, and then we can prototype in MDF and make decent machines in MDF and then implement in aluminum. Or if it's not a high demand project, we can just leave it in, in aluminum. So if you open the files, uh, 
you you know you, uh, that is in the repo you will see repo you'll see this uh, so you see we have the 2d files that you can cut and paste uh, we have 3d files that you can work on and then we have rotary axis as well which is cool in different gear ratios so you see nine to one six to one and we haven't even had time to test these ourselves so please let us know if you try and fab one of these I, again, like a little bit like a patient monk, I'm just trying to time, you know, not stop making linear motion and milling machines until they're good enough. Because my thought is if you can make a good milling machine, you can make any machine almost, because it needs to be precise and, and rigid and, and fast. Uh, but what's exciting too is that you find also in, in a grasshopper file to generate these axes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So here you see live geometry. So you have the Axis width, if you change that from 100 millimeter, 27 to say 60 millimeters, then it will, you know, recalculate and you have the length and so on. You know, I guess you're familiar with parametric stuff from now. So that makes it very easy to, to update the geometry, right? And uh, what's also nice is you can then change also. Uh, I can't find. Now I lost my way in the whole thing. There's too many settings. That's a challenge, eh? But you can change also the size of the milling bit you're working on and so on. And quickly, I wanted to show you the next, the next uh, evolution, which is a dual layer cyclone. We haven't had time to, to mill this, but I pushed it to Git. So you can check it out in the repo in new, new development files. But these are two, two layers like, like terraces that, that should help create very smooth tran power transmission and very little backlash. But if you look at the blue lines, that's our original geometry. And here you can see the very specific shape that's CNC friendly. It's very difficult to explain and make people understand that that's kind of what it's about. You can't get sharp internal corners on the milling machine. So we're using this cycloid shaped teeth profile to have very little backlash, very smooth motion with very low tooth count, basically. And uh, let me get back here. But then, yeah, so now, but what's been cool is now we're, we're starting to get to some design, modern design classics. Oh, by the way, uh, one of my students last year, Jakob, he, he, he used this axis system for his final project. You can check it out, it's a little shopot style like uh, machine. And then here, Hattori, which is also the machine behind me, you see, this one is intended to work both as a, a milling machine and a, and a 3D printer. So, and again, for Oslo Innovation Award, we made a trophy. So this year, the winner, they got a, they got a machine that would 3D print their trophy. So the trophy was a um, trophy that could print another trophy. And uh, the winners, they made actually act for blind people to, uh, to connect volunteers with blind people so that your smartphone can be the eyes. So they're called Be My Eyes. So we, 3D printed in Braille, the name of the winner and the, the, uh, the trophy name. I would say that, that they won the Oslo Innovation Award. So that was so, like, just great fun. And then, you know, we really, I really liked then that we screen printed it pink and, and, uh, uh, and orange, like the color profile, and to show that machine making can be fun, it can be playful, and it can be sort of an expression. And the whole thing is made from MDF. So if you don't do these fancy graphics, the actual fabrication time to make this is, it's, it's, it's a few hours only, which is very exciting. Even in aluminum, it's less than a day. And if you do it in MDF, it's very fast. And so you can check out the, the docu for that. We had to print Benchy, of course, you know, the little boat uh, benchmarking printer. And then what we really need to do is be able to clone capacity. And, and, and pretty much anybody who's been involved with fabbing stuff for a really long time, the favorite machine is always the big milling machine because you can make sturdy, strong stuff. You can make a lot of stuff. You can make stuff much faster and much more precise than laser cutters and printers. So uh, last year, a former FabLab manager in Amsterdam, Alex Schaub, got commissioned to start a new space down in Amsterdam. So he came to our lab and we milled out all the parts for a shop size machine in our lab and he brought it back to the Netherlands and assembled it there. And here you can see how we had to split the rails and line them up to be able to have an axis as long as the axis on the machine that made it. So that's been very exciting a milestone to, to be able to get to. And here you can see the, the cut sheet from the aluminum sheet. Lots of you know, documentation. 
have to show you, uh, here's Alex and me. So you see the modern machine in the back with its gantry and then our new axis with the gantry. And pretty cool thing to note then is because it's a classic with, in, is to combine, you have a lot of complexity in the geometry with few parts, low part counts. So you have the two rails and the drive system and the geometry that holds it together in one part. Jens, can you talk about two things at this point? One is the role of high-speed machining toolpaths. And one is, can you show the pictures I like you show of the ratio of what you make versus what you buy and how that ratio has evolved? Oh, yes. So but the ratio and the toolpaths. Yeah, so here you see the, the packing going to Amsterdam. And here you can see the ratio, basically. So on the left are the electronics and drivers, the motors. And you see the cables make it look like it's a lot. And, uh, and uh, each chain. Uh, was bought for time that you see these are core parts. We don't fabricate ourselves the electronics and the motor uh, And of course you as you know, you can even do the PCBs very easily uh, like uh, Daniel is going to talk about that later and here you see all the drive system and the Important stuff and the wood stuff here. We fabricated locally by hand for the bed of the machine Lots of picks and uh, no time to solve it all and uh, High-speed machining, uh, I don't have anything sort of very ready for on that now, but uh, by moving in, in smart, by moving in, in smart uh, ways, you can machine much harder material than you think. Let's see if I can, uh, I can get back to that on, uh, I'll get back to that a little bit later, but uh, it's called trochoidal milling. You can also look it up on, uh, uh, on, on YouTube. Uh, but we found that plain old stupid machining straightforward works perfectly fine with the shop with the right feeds and speeds. So that's why we also share that in the chamfer rail repo where you can read about, you know, because you don't need coolant and all this stuff if you have the, the correct settings and use single fluid bits, which is great. So, but then it's much more fun to demo some stuff. So I have the machine behind me. So I thought I, I would run it for you. And you can also ask questions about that later. So, and, just like Jonathan, I've also been working on COM. So there's a whole project called Bark Beetle, which lets you create toolpaths very easily in Rhino Grasshopper. So I just select the geometry here and I can choose between putting in pocket layer, engrave layer, cut and so on. Put it in the engrave layer. And you can see here, I have like which material I'm working with and thickness and stuff like this. And the thickness will actually be used to auto home the machine. So it auto calibrates and you see if I say that I work with aluminium, we get more passes and uh, the, the, uh, the angle, you know, the ramp angle changes and you, the feed rate is automatically adjusted. Everything, so you just say which bit you have and which material working it and you get automatic settings. And this streams out of the program. So I'm gonna try and, and load it on, the, on another computer here. So Yen, stop screen share so we have a better view of you. Ah, just in time, thank you. <laughs> All right, so maybe you need to mute. Am I full screen, Neil? Yeah, or you're good. All right, so. No, we, we see you full screen. You just don't right. see yourself full screen. So I just loaded the file back here and what you're gonna see now is also, I'm gonna, wait, wait. So uh, we, we call it auto home. So we use on the milling machines, the same process as on the 3D printer where you don't have to remember to press home X, Y, home Z and stuff that the machine and the post processor just deals with that. So, so you see, I just pressed play now. So it moves the Z axis up and then X and Y, then it knows it's clear safely upwards and it knows where it is. Now it goes down and, and it probes on a little piece of aluminum. You might know that from the shop pot the thing you have to do manually. This is just permanently mounted next to it. Then it fires up the spindle. So, and we even have the, the safety enclosure, which is great, you know. It's quite static, <laughs> but plastic. 
So uh, what's also really fun is since uh, we're working with Rack and Pinion instead of Belt and Lead Screw, you see how I can hot swap these axes. So you can have multiple of them and load them up and load it into the machine. And we're also looking at that for Z axis, you know, so you can do manual tool change with the Z. But of course, we can start automating this. And when it gets super exciting, so we take these smaller machines and automate them with larger gantry machines that do the machine tending, right? And they don't have to be that precise. And again, this rack and pinion system is so cheap and scalable, we can make giant machines to automate it. So one of the, one of the sort of uh, things in our roadmap then is to, to have both support learning and sort of expression and making your own machines, but we also want to support people to make highly automated micro businesses where you use the lab to create a non-human friendly place that, that very, but you can make stuff for an affordable price. Because right. right now it's a challenge that in a fab lab, we can only, if you only have a reasonable margin on the stuff we fab quickly, it's, it's only the richer part of society or businesses that can buy the stuff we fab. So that automation part is quite important to, to be able for, for everybody to buy the stuff we fab. So just really quickly, can you mention the emerging business designing and making machines in your lab? Yeah, I'll, I'll run a video of that as well in the background while I talk, because Jakob, one of my Fab Academy students from last year, he is delivering this machine. So this, can you see? Oh no, I'm not screen sharing. Sorry. Uh, uh, let me see. I think you have to leave Down the bottom, video. share screen. Yes. Okay. Good. So, yeah, so we, so, uh, we allow freelancers to, to do commercial stuff in our lab, but we don't subsidize the use on the machine. They have to pay a commercial rent. So one of my Fab Academy students has booked the, the machine in our lab and cloned our shop out. So he cloned the machine he booked, basically, and delivers that machine for a local client here in Norway. So here's the first test. This was last Thursday, it's super fresh. This is testing aluminum for the first time on that machine. Um, so you see Jakob very excitedly with safety glasses in the back and, and the client, one of the clients on the left side. This is a bit local business making synthesizers and restoring Hammond organs. And they're gonna use this to produce studio furniture and uh, they're gonna use it to engrave flight cases and things like this. So, so, so this now R&D is getting real. We have freelancers earning money. We have local businesses getting better and more affordable tools. So uh, Jens, this is a uh, grandchild shopbot? Uh, no, no, this is just, uh, just a child of a shopbot, yeah. Because the, no, the other one is in Amsterdam. Its cousin is in Amsterdam, right? <laughs> but it, now I have my friend back home, which is nice. <laughs> Okay. But That's yeah, great. this is to, to, to reinforce that this is a commercial client in Oslo paying real money for a Fab Academy student to fabricate them one of these machines to have in their, in their, in their business. Okay. So for time, that's great. For time, let's get on to Danielle. So, Jens, if, if you can stop screen share and Danielle take over. So, hi, everybody. I'm Daniel Gracia, and I work as a instructor since three years in FabLock and Bleedford. My brief uh, personal story is that I uh, enrolled in Fab Academy in 2015. And after that moment, I decided that I want to uh, stay way longer in the Fab Lab. So I quit my job and I jumped to Germany uh, to do a Fab Academy instructor. So I did uh, a laser cutter machine, which still is not uh, uh, completely ready. So I will start sh screen sharing my screen. And um, I would like to say that I'm quite fresh and new in machine building, so it's just uh, one year. So I will try to uh, keep up with the things that the others did. So first of all, uh, the name of the machine is Laser Duo uh, because I wanted to build a machine which has two different laser sources uh, inside. So one laser source is the CO2 laser source, which will be uh, able to cut uh, soft material, which, which are uh, woods, uh, uh, cloth, cardboard, uh, acrylic, and so on. And the other one is uh, Yak laser, which is actually a laser um, able to cut and engrave uh, metals. So in this case, we are talking about thin metals. So what are the objectives that I have with this machine is that um, I would like to demonstrate that in Fab Labs we can build, let's say, uh, 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 um, machines that are um, uh, standing the competition with commercial machines. At least I did this comparison for laser cutter machines. So for instance, for example, safe machines, 
or uh, big machines or fast machines or machines which are able to work with metal. So in this case, with this machine, I want to offer the possibility to work with a wide range of material uh, without purchasing two different lasers or two different systems. I also would like to lower the cost for FabLab because right now, if you want to buy a fiber laser machine, uh, uh, will cost uh, uh, starting from uh, $40,000 or something like this. And I also would like, of course, to release this machine as open source so everybody can uh, use it as a starting point to build other machines or to customize it and, and so on. So let's have a look to the development approach that they had, which is, uh, I don't know, quite uh, uh, like uh, coming from my instinct. So I wanted to answer the question, I want to have my own laser cutter. So instead of buying it, I decided to build it. And on the left side, you can see that I did this uh, starting with traditional mechanical components with some uh, CNC machined parts, for instance, these uh, pump parts here. And this uh, central axis here, the x-axis, was actually the first part uh, that I did for this machine. And then on the right, you can see the current status of the machine. So my, my approach was to, okay, I want to have a machine with just this size. And then I did the, the, the x-axis and the, and the stages. No? And then on top of that, so dependingly on that, I decided to build the z-axis. Depending on the z-axis, I decided to build the enclosure and I added all the other features of the machine. So I had no idea about the final shape of the machine. I, I just realized it while building it. So here you can see the, the stages. So I spent a lot of time to make these stages uh, uh, exactly square because I was afraid actually that then if this was not correct, the rest of the machine will actually not have uh, uh, enough precision. So what I did, I, I, I assembled the stages using a lot of tools to make them exactly square. And then I did some tests to see if uh, uh, the machine was square enough. So here in the video, maybe you can see in the small video, some examples of the, uh, of the drawings that I did. So in this case, I use uh, uh, rail guides because I needed to have uh, fast movements. And also I don't have uh, uh, a lot of forces involved uh, for, the, for the laser. So this is actually the second step. So uh, starting from that point, I decided to, let's say, extrude uh, the shape of the, of the stages in order to have uh, the main frame of the machine. Uh, the meaning that the reason because I want to have this kind of frame is uh, that having a, a shorter frame would not cost, let's say, uh, uh, so much less. So that's why I decided to have a longer one so I could have as an option maybe the possibility to have the z-axis. Uh, so I can use the machine also maybe for something else rather than only a laser cutter. And here you can start to see some other machine parts, for example, these uh, supports for the z-axis over here. So um, I'm of course using uh, belts and pulleys for this. And this is uh, actually a, a small detail about the, the z-axis. So there is a stepper motor on the bottom. And then with this stepper motor, I'm moving uh, a closet belt, uh, which then moves four lead screws. So with this system, I am able to lift, uh, let's say in a flat way, a very huge bed. bed. We are talking about uh, one meter, 500 times uh, one meter. So here you should see uh, some examples about the uh, speeds of the machine. So this was the maximum speed that they could achieve at that time. So here the speed is limited by the size of the motors, which are NEMA 24, but also by the stepping mode, which is one thick synth, and the maximum kilohertz that the Gerber uh, firmware can output to the stepper drivers. Okay. And this is actually uh, 750 millimeters uh, per second. So if we go on, then I did some testing for which regards uh, the z-axis. So here you can see some heavy loads uh, onto the machine. And then here already the, the bed is already finished and everything is attached uh, to the lead screws. So let's see this one. So with this uh, system, I'm able to uh, go precisely enough up and down with a speed of uh, 1000 millimeter per minute. Cool. So this is a nice picture of the development of the last year. Those are all my Fab Academy students. And I did this picture to show uh, how much is the space uh, inside, uh, uh, inside the machine. 
So then after this, of course, I was totally concerned about the uh, safety of the laser and I decided to have a double protection for the machine. So this shows uh, the, 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 the work that I did uh, to implement an inner enclosure for the machine. So those are uh, um, aluminum sheets, anodized aluminum sheets that have been cut with a CNC machine. And then they have been applied to the, to the shield, to the, uh, to the frame of the machine in order to close the inner working area and also to have some uh, small air intake for, the, for the, um, uh, uh, the insertion of the air and also for the exhaust system. So here you, maybe you can see a video about uh, the status of the machine at that stage. Uh, so you can even see the electronics on the bottom organized and also the two laser sources uh, here. Um, so the laser sources are on the same level of the stages uh, for simplicity and to reduce also the length of the laser path. So this is much more traditional way of doing the machine with some uh, parts made in the fab lab, but I, I decided to go as fast as possible to, to, to achieve my results also because a lot of parts are easy to, to source like aluminum beams in this case, for instance. Uh, but by the way, I'm, uh, um, uh, um, I, I really want to build electronics on my own. So I'm developing since a long time, several open source microcontroller boards uh, from which then I did also um, an open source uh, stepper driver, which has, has been used as well uh, from uh, Jakob, from, from Jens. And uh, so uh, what I did in this case was, uh, while I was developing the machine, I was already releasing uh, all the things that I already uh, managed to make uh, working properly. So in this case, the stepper driver. I also recently developed a USB to serial converter because I'm planning to use this uh, on the machine. And then uh, here on the uh, bottom right, you can see a development of uh, a board that will be used effectively on the machine. So this is actually a sachet kit with, which integrates uh, uh, the uh, USB to serial converter and this to, uh, to save money without buying the uh, FTJ cable, of course. So if we go on, this is a little bit complicated picture about the architecture of the laser controller. So basically the idea behind this is that I want to assign a single microcontroller to a single laser source uh, of the machine. So I want to have um, a microcontroller uh, on top of the hierarchy, which will filter the G-code commands uh, to the uh, one uh, on the bottom of the hierarchy. So what will happen is that this board on the top will manage which uh, microcontroller will manage uh, a specific laser a specific in a specific time and will also manage all the integration between the two lasers. So let's say that uh, I want to use the CO2 laser after the YAG laser. No? So the machine has to refocus, but has also to come back to another region point. So in this board will take care of filtering all the, all the stuff. Uh, at the end, there will be a board which will switch the physical connection between the, uh, uh, the sub-step uh, drivers and then uh, according still to the command of this one, we'll decide which uh, uh, board will be connected to the steppers. Here in the center, you can see also um, a Marlin version of the Sashagit. So all the Sashagit are going to be released soon uh, while I'm finishing to develop the machine. And the Gerber Sasha kit is meant to be used with a Gerber firmware. So you are going to have a USB to serial converter integrated, but also all the pinout is arranged uh, according to this. And it has also special filters for the end stops, so for, the, uh, for avoiding problems with the, the bounce. Uh, but it's going to be also a Marlin Sasha kit, which is uh, a Sasha kit able to work with a Marlin firmware, which is meant for 3D printing. So in, this is just a, a possibility of to expand the machine to a very huge, uh, with a temperature controlled uh, 3D printer later on. Okay, so this is the way that uh, I used to align the optics. So I did everything in, in Fusion and I designed the supports for the optics and, and then I attached everything according to this design to make sure that almost from the, from the very beginning, the lens uh, and, the, and the mirrors were strictly aligned. So if you build a laser cutter, guys, if you don't do something like this, I would say that you are completely lost. So it was really difficult without this drawing to make a precise alignment of the optics. So the way that I choose to integrate the two lasers is to use two different laser paths, which will coexist alongside each other, instead of using uh, uh, lenses and mirror, which are uh, specific uh, to both. So, 
Safety is uh, a, a huge concern when we are talking about lasers. So what I did while I was developing the machine, I was reading a lot of safety manuals. I was looking to the regulation in the United States, the one the, in, the, in Europe. Actually, I found out later on that the one in Europe are uh, quite uh, more restrictive in comparison to the one in the US. And also the material according that is certified for them, it's uh, very expensive. So by the way, the main ones are this uh, 6825, which classifies the laser according to the power and to the danger that they can have. So in this case, I'm using class four laser cutters, so class four laser sources. And for this, I'm enclosing the overall machine with almost um, a fireproof material and uh, a double aluminum body. And the other one is the N207, which uh, stands for the safety that uh, uh, a protective anywhere or like um, a protective window can stand the laser. So in this case, uh, the law says that this uh, protection should stand for 10 seconds before collapsing. And here you can see a, a, a graph taken from a data sheet of, um, of, a, of a protective window, which uh, tells you actually which kind of- Sorry, Danielle. For time management, we need to get to questions. I think this is enough to say you've done a good job on safety. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much, Ben. I want just to show this is the current state of the machine. Still, I have to finish it. This is a possible uh, finished uh, model. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, and so then to pick up to the present, um, uh, I have a new generation of Nadia's and Jonathan's working on removing the gerbil piece with networked motor controllers and then removing the um, specific CAD dependency with mods machine generators. And I'll show some of that in Machine Building Week and we'll bring them to Fab 14. And then there's a merging group working on a platform to buy and sell Fab Lab projects to be able to start scaling distribution of these machines to some of the future steps. And we're very close to the goal of Fab Labs making Fab Labs. So 10 minutes left, questions, comments among yourselves and anybody with anybody. I have a comment. Yeah. So we really get disappointed if you ask us to ship you a machine. You know, that's really like pissing on our values. We really want you to fabricate that machine locally if you can. And we will try and support you with that. And we have a very, uh, we don't have a restrictive commercial license either. But, and, but we are experimenting with something we, we call gentleman's agreement with, with a little royalty fee. So if somebody makes money in your community, we encourage them to voluntarily pay 2% uh, on top of the price and send it to us. But it's not enforced. We don't spend a single dollar on lawyers. But it's a sort of a family-like thing that's encouraged but not enforced. Uh, and because it doesn't make any sense for Oslo to ship all these machines out. But if you do want to make a machine, then you can do it locally, then come to us and, and use our infrastructure here. That, and then we can build friendships and family too. And you can be users in the lab instead of consumers of our stuff. Yeah, that's an interesting vision of, you did the maker tour. This is like the machine tour. People traveling to labs and leaving with machines. Yes, and they know how to use them because they made them. Yeah, um, for Alex, there's a funny story in Oslo that the way he could ship the machine back was calling it skis. Yes, 40 kilos of aluminum and no extra cost. <laughs> um, Nadia, Jonathan, questions, comments? Uh, hi, I'm Audible. Yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to ask if there's an alternative to those linear rails, if we can use like V wheels with aluminum sections or something, because in India, those linear rails are very expensive and machining them is a big task. Uh, so any comment on that? Well, the first thing to know is that there's no, nothing is mandated. This is a range of approaches, um, but a general comment is the goal is to reduce dependencies in the supply chain. So I think Jens and I share a religion way over this side of make everything from raw stock. So there's no supply chain at all. Um, Danielle was somewhere in between where he was using um, uh, belts and pulleys. 
Um, uh, one of my current students, Jake, has been looking at um, using um, skateboard bearings that are easy to get um, with just you know a linear block. Um, and so there's a range of approaches that are competing for the linear axis. The, uh, the thing that you should take into consideration, Avinav, is that a V-wheel is a guiding thing, whereas you need to have some kind of drivetrain. So like you can restrict the motion with a V-wheel, but you have to find out some way in which you're going to translate you know, your motor power into motion. And so if it's not going yeah. to rack and pinion think about what other drivetrains you do have access to if it's a belt or a lead screw or something else okay yeah thanks yeah Jens's design is deceptively subtle because it, it you know it, in one system is merging um positioning um constraints and force transfer i wanted uh, to show you i'm sharing my screen now Maker slide is something to study, right? With ready-made V-wheels. This is what Shepoko and so are using. So, so that's also an option because sort of you need to choose. Yeah, so, yeah. But that, if you said that fabricating this, this, this axis was non-trivial, I would dare to say you should not get your Fab Academy diploma unless you can fabricate those axes. <laughs> like it's pockets, cutouts, <laughs> and chamfers. If you cannot do that on the shop lot, then really like, then, then Neil need, needs to reconsider how we teach machining in Fab Academy. And you certainly don't have to make it in aluminium in the beginning. You can learn in wood or plastic and then later make it in alu if it makes sense. Uh, I'll, I'll try my best to do that. Yeah, and again, just to repeat, I mean, and Jonathan showed his flexure. There's a number of different motion systems you know, in a kind of a friendly competition. There's trade-offs among them, but, but the general spirit is to keep reducing the dependency to be able to produce as much as you can locally. Because it's an amazing feeling when you have that material in the lab and any moment it could be any type of machine. That's, that's, that's a different way of thinking and working. Uh, I wanted to show also uh, the contributors to, the, to, our, to why we are using Git, right? Because it's not me alone. We are a great team of informal collaborators. We're not employed by the same organization. We're not students at the same school. We're globally informal collaborators so and and you can take part that's the whole thing thing so don't be shy about you know uh, pull and uh, uh, pull requests and submitting back because uh, so, uh, that's the whole point of using git gitlab and github and use issues please you know if you have quest uh, questions use use issues because then the whole world can learn and the whole world can respond you know so i urgently uh, plead for, for for these things to be used because they work yeah, also, you, you may be intimidated by these shiny machines, but everybody involved was a beginner and then went through this sort of religious experience and became a machine builder. Yes, and, and it's also taught, yeah, it's, and it doesn't matter if it becomes a good machine because it's just a great hobby and it's sort of great pleasure anyway. I talk a lot about we do it for rational reasons, but we also do it for sport. You like people <laughs> in, in India hitting, you know, stuff with cricket bats for sport. We, we see how much of our favorite tools we can make ourselves or replicate. Jens, <laughs> um, you've shown a giant machine. Are you going to make a really, really big one? Yeah, and I'm super sorry that I had to cancel plans for Fab 14 to do that because of my health and also because of timing with our own lab reopening. But uh, we, we're working on scaling this rack and pinion systems to, to mega scale. If you, it's called Hemid if you go to our, uh, to our repo. Sure. And I'm in love with something called iJoyce now. That's my new hangup. So we're looking at doing like giant stuff like this. And you can Sorry, see what, are you in love with? What, what did you say you're in love with? Uh, iJoyce, let me show you. So they are uh, ready-made, uh, super cheap beams used in, in construction industry, right? Uh -huh. So yeah, you can see the roof here is a good example. And so that's the cheapest way to buy something really long and really stiff. So I want to use this as ready-mades to make a torsion box for the bed of a machine. But that machine machines this again. So you see actually the gantry to the right in this picture. You can fab, you know, you can fab that gantry from this. But also very excitingly is like, for instance, Vicky House, the struggle with Vicky House to fabricate your own house from plywood. It's not certified in Europe, right? So it's illegal. And 
they spend a long time working on that. But this is certified if you if you have the right cladding and insulation. So so then you can very sort of cheaply. Yeah, you can start making certified houses as well and giant stuff, but super cheap and super fast because it's wood and it's a mass market product. So iJoists are sort of my new, my new uh, hang up for mega scale. We're almost out of time. Anybody questions, comments for anybody? I started a new lab at the University of Washington and it's called the Machine Agency. And what is your lab going to do? Well, we build machine machines and machine interfaces uh, and uh, workflow workflows for machine building. But let's see, um, first there was Snap, then there was modular axis and object-oriented hardware. Uh, assume success, what's going to come out in a few years? Uh, people don't buy anything anymore. Everyone just makes stuff. No, that's the goal, but what, what is, you know, in the lineage of SNAP to axes to object-oriented hardware, what's, what's sort of the next stage down the peak roadmap? Well, I'm interested in how we have a lot of things that we say are easy or promise. Like maybe seven years ago, we said it was really easy to make um, the MTM SNAP or like six years ago, maybe we said it was easy for people to make their own milling machine. And then maybe three years ago, I said it was easy for people to prototype their own workflow. And sometimes I feel like you're just catching up to your own promises. Some of those things aren't really true. You know, a lot of people have made machines with the reconfigurable machine tools, but we're not really making anything that's uh, embedded into local production practices yet. Jens is getting pretty close, but uh, how do we make that you know, more accessible and easier and really uh, meaningful for people, even if, uh, even if they're not doing it for sport, you know, some people maybe need to do things for a job. Yeah, I, I think that's a nice thought to end on. There, there's a reasonable argument that we've all missed the point that the killer app of Fab Labs is rapid automation, not rapid fabrication. And the machine. Yeah, the complexity that you get from the precision of machines is really great, but the creativity of individuals doesn't really come through yet unless you're. I, I get, I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to maybe go out on a limb and say that Jonathan, Jens, Daniela, and I, we're all a certain type of person. Um, and what about everyone else? Yeah, but, but it, I, I don't think that's much of a limb to make that statement. Um, but yeah, the, it, what you're all doing is rapid automation. And it happens you're automating the machines that make machines, but the ability to do this means you can rapidly automate all kinds of other things. Um, and in many ways, the real impact of Fab Labs may be rapid automation, not rapid fabrication. I'm hoping in material recycling and manufacturing sheets for the laser and milling machine can be a great sort of practicing ground there. How do we make these machines and how do we automate and intend them? And also, in, the, in our research pipeline, we have uh, compliant glide blocks and motor mounts that you, you don't have to tune. It's springy when it comes out of the machine, you just assemble. So it won't be very rigid or precise, but it just works. And then you can start you know, having conveyor belt type movements and stuff within reasonable precision, but without that, I call it piano tuning. You know, it's like tuning a piano, you're so patient. And that's, that's exactly where we are now with these glide blocks, you know, on the axis to get really high performance. You need to be a, a piano tuner for your shop bot and for the machine, your machine with the shop bot, right? Yeah. And I think that's something you've done a good job on. There's like traditional machine building where they're really stiff and really expensive and take a long time. And there's DIY machine building where they're sloppy and terrible and sort of tastefully getting this place right between where they're not expensive and take a long time, but they're actually really work well. There, there isn't much yet that occupies that. And, and you all have done a good job of colonizing that space. One thing I've been kind of noticing, Neil, is that all of us have, within a few meters, machines that we built ourselves. I am so embarrassed. So yeah. Jens, yeah. Let's let's the video, Jens pointed it out and I am so embarrassed. And the only remotely sane conclusion is I have a major to do to, for dog food eating to take the next generation of 
controllers design all of that and remake all of these machines. So I, I am in machine debt and uh, just we did we'll check in update. And I, I, I am happy to take that as a very clear, embarrassing homework assignment. For a Fab Academy students, I don't know if I'll put this up on time, but this is a rotary version of the uh, this is a rotary version of the cardboard linear axis, and it has this cool bearing, and then it uses these planetary gears. Um, so um, if anyone of you guys want to use it, email me, and I'll send you the uh, files for it. I haven't we haven't been given the documentation well. Just so I'm not completely embarrassed, here's my bin of NEMA motors because I, I I was actually planning to do to remake these. So here's my NEMA motors. Oh, that's it's just a bunch of parts. Yeah. No, no, no. But they're motors <laughs> and controllers, and and um uh we have mods with FREP starting to do axis generation. So oh, I also have a cool motor to show. <laughs> I also have cool motor to show. Yeah, I was showing Neil earlier this one, so you can find this in our repo. It has an integrated driver and closed loop, so it's plug and play closed loop. So check our repo for this one. This one is like a tiny brushless stepper motor that has an uh, integrated position controller in it. Let's see if I can open it. So in the back, it has this position controller. Um, and so you can kind of both read out position and set position, making the brushless motor more like a stepper motor, kind of. Uh, it's I. IQnetics. Yeah, when we get to machine building week, this is a good lead in. I'll cover lots of both commercial and DIY projects to do these sort of things. Okay, this was a great hour and a great window into machine building. And we'll share all of this at Fab 14. Thank you all. Bye. 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 Bye.